Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. Sola gratia, grace alone. Central to a reformed understanding is the idea of grace. But what is the significance of grace? And why grace alone? Whether we like to admit it or not, we live in a transactional society. If a friend or neighbor goes out of their way to bestow kindness upon us, we in turn feel obliged to do the same for them. And this is usually a good thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to be good neighbors. But with this idea firmly planted in the back of our mind, do we take enough time to meditate on and seek to understand the grace of God, a gift undeserved and unrepayable? In our scripture passage today, Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Dead in transgressions. It doesn't get much clearer than that. Even on our best days, we cannot lead truly holy and faultless lives. Sin has a way of sneaking and creeping in. We, by our own power and might, cannot stand blameless before the throne of God. Despite all of our good deeds, despite all of the times, all of the times we turn the other cheek, we cannot earn our salvation. And in this difficult truth, friends, lies the good news of the gospel. Paul continues, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace and grace alone we have been saved. This is not a cheap act, a mere wave of the hand. God in his rich mercy chose to condemn his own son to redeem us. Jesus did nothing to deserve his death and there's nothing we have done or can do by our own power and might to deserve God's forgiveness. Let me say that again. 
It is only through the rich and unending grace of God displayed through the death and resurrection of Christ that we are saved. Therefore, let us rejoice this day in the grace we have received. Let us praise the one who bore our sins on his body and redeemed us with his very life. But let us not take that grace for granted. As Paul writes to the Romans, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Through God's grace demonstrated on the cross, the burden of salvation has been lifted off of our shoulders. But it is not an excuse to live wantonly. Instead, recognizing this beautiful gift of grace, let us seek to lead lives worthy of the calling we have received. Let us prayerfully recognize and name the sin in our lives and seek to root it out. And let us lean into Christ, walking with him daily as we seek to share the same good news we have experienced with others that we have been saved by grace. Amen. In reading the the Apostle Paul, it's difficult to find a paragraph of Paul's writing where Jesus Christ is not mentioned again and again and again. The scripture that Maddie read today for us from Ephesians, we find these phrases just in that small piece alone, alive with Christ, raised up in Christ, seated us in Christ. We are created in Jesus Christ. To Paul, everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything culminates in Jesus Christ. Paul is, as one might say, Christocentric. Christ is the culmination of all things. Christ alone saves, rescues, and redeems. In him, all things hold together, and in him, our lives are made complete. Solus Christus, Christ alone. My journey of faith revolves a great deal around the reality that Christ doesn't actually need my help, though I suppose from time to time I might think I could be a big help. I'm reminded each day that Christ might use me in another's life, but I am not necessary for anyone else's salvation. It is not Christ plus our well-intentioned helpfulness, or anyone else's. Christ alone accomplishes salvation for me and for you. Solus Christus, Christ alone. The summer before my junior year in college, I remember attending an intervarsity camp in Massachusetts where we were studying Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, all week. I remember sitting outside on one particular beautiful day surrounded by the outdoors and reading Philippians 3. And I remember in that moment being overwhelmed with Paul's message that everything that he had done, and believe me, Paul had done a lot, everything he had done in his life he considered loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And I was overcome in that moment that I could know Christ, me, right there, right then, surrounded by all those trees and in all that beauty of nature. I recall that morning that I put a stake in the ground that summer, telling Jesus right then and there that knowing him was going to be my life's goal. I actually remember saying those words out loud, and I knew that he heard me, and I knew that he took me seriously. I know there were things about that moment that I simply took for granted. I didn't know it at the time, but the work of the Reformation actually clarified that moment for me. You see, I didn't need a priest or a pastor or a doctor of theology to mediate that interaction for me with Jesus. With the Holy Spirit guiding my heart, I spoke my own words 
in my own time, and Jesus spoke back through his word, and I knew that he was with me. In that moment, I was knowing Jesus, and I was being known by him. Several years into our marriage, Adam and I took that love language test. You know that inventory where you find out how you receive love best and how other people receive love best, and it's often I've discovered that a married couple, the love languages are completely different, which is, I think, God's sense of humor for us. But one of my top love languages is acts of service. You know, don't tell me you love me, just do the dishes, clean the house, fold the laundry. That speaks immense love to me. Adam, on the other hand, is best love through words of affirmation. He just wants, needs a thank you occasionally. Shouldn't be that difficult. But for someone who really believes that words are just a meaningless vapor, unless they're backed up by an action, (laughs) it's really difficult for me to remember to just say a simple thank you. I mean, I folded your laundry. Wasn't that enough? Didn't you feel my affection (laughs) through my act of service for you? Oh, the joys of marital bliss. (laughs) But you know, when I think about my relationship with Jesus, my commitment to knowing him, I often wonder if Jesus speaks my love language. Does he speak my love language? And then I have the thought that I suppose he pretty much speaks every love language. In fact, he probably invented them. I think about Jesus' great act of service, which was to save me, and that he serves me every day of my life. Jesus speaks words of affirmation to me. He embraces me through the body of Christ. And if I will just stop and breathe and open the word and give time to Jesus, he has all the quality time in the world for me. The way of love is wide open when it comes to Jesus. Solus Christus, Christ alone. I close with this. Martin Luther often spoke about Christ being a mirror of the Father's heart a mirror that we should constantly look into. Once he advised a woman named Barbara who was worried and anxious that maybe she wasn't among God's elect, that she wasn't part of God's people, and Luther counseled her with these words, the highest of all commands, Barbara, is this, that we hold up before our eyes the image of his dear son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, he should be the excellent mirror wherein we behold how much God loves us and how well in his infinite goodness He has cared for us in that he gave his dear son for us. Contemplate Christ given for us, Barbara. Then, God willing, you will feel better. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Know him each day, always. For in Christ and in Christ alone, you will find your life. I love that hymn because we really do want the Lord to speak to us, don't we? That's what Martin Luther wanted is he was haunted by the question, what must I do to be saved? For Luther, this was not an intellectual exercise. It was a deeply existential question, but the answers from the church just created fear and anxiety in people's lives. Heaven and hell were certainties, and knowing how to avoid one and gain the other was important. But the voices clamored, do good, be good, 
buy this indulgence, touch this relic, take a pilgrimage to Rome. So many voices filled with confusing words about the right path to salvation. And Luther and the people wondered, what words can I trust? Luther struggled fiercely with these questions, hoping to find peace about God's love and forgiveness. But his life changed forever when he discovered the good news of God's grace in the pages of Scripture. It was in those pages, enlivened by the Holy Spirit, that he realized the truth about his salvation and discovered the only trustworthy voice, the Word of God. The reformers proclaimed the truth that scripture alone, sola scriptura, reveals all we need to know regarding our salvation and all we need to know about how to live a life that is pleasing to God. It is in scripture where we hear the voice of God speaking to each of us and to all of us together. That was then. This is now. And I don't think the voices that fill the air are less confusing today, do you? Television, radio, social media all scream at us with words that cajole, that judge, that hurt, that create fear, and point in so many different directions as they promise the way to the good life, whatever that may be. And so today, we are faced with Luther's dilemma. Of all the words we hear Which words can we trust? The Reformation's answer was clear. God's word alone. With Luther then, we ask, what will give me life instead of death? What will give me hope instead of despair? Peace instead of fear? Where will we find true answers? And Peter Typically, Peter just blurts it out. Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. The only true voice for us to listen to is the voice of God. In those times when God seems absent, know that you can turn to Scripture and hear Him. His words may comfort you. They may challenge you. They may even hurt you. But know this, they are his good words to you. God's word alone cuts through all the chatter that would mislead us. God's word alone tells us the true source of our salvation. And it helpfully instructs us in our day-to-day relationship with the Lord as his word encourages us to approach his throne with confidence so that we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. Let us pray then, knowing that the God who speaks to us in his word also listens to our words when we cry out to him. I recently heard of someone who got a stationary bike and made it their goal to bike the distance from the earth to the moon. Now that's 238,900 miles. So to make that work, they'd have to bike 20 miles a day, every day, for 32 years. (laughs) But we all know that no bike, stationary or otherwise, can actually take you to the moon. No, you need a fundamentally different mode of transportation 
you need a rocket. Now, some people think that if you just do the right things and avoid the wrong things, then you can make yourself right with God. But that's like trying to bike to the moon because God is perfect, holy, beyond our imagination and comprehension. The gap between who God is and who we are is just too wide. Pile up all the good things that we could possibly do and they can't get us any closer to God. So, if the good we do can't restore us to God, then what can? As Junior shared, this was the dilemma that a medieval monk named Martin Luther found himself in. No matter how much good he did, he knew he did not measure up to the holiness of a holy God. But then, in his study of scripture, Luther rediscovered the answer, a truth that had been neglected and forgotten for many years. The answer he found was sola fide, faith, faith alone. Romans 3.22, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness, our restored and rectified relationship with God, we receive it through faith alone. As we've already seen today, only God can bridge the gap between us and God. And that's why it's only Jesus Christ alone who could do it. And this restored relationship, righteousness, is, it comes to us through God's grace alone, God's initiative, God's gift. Now, faith is what enables us to receive this gift from God. Why? Because you can't receive a gift with your hands closed. Faith is opening your hands to receive the gift. Faith is trust, trust in God's character, trust in God's goodness, trust in Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, people come to Jesus and they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to simply open your hands to Jesus and receive the goodness of the gospel. And of course, remember, even our faith itself is a gift. It comes to us through God's grace alone. So we can't boast about it. We can't take pride in it. No, it's all to the glory of God alone. So let's stand together and sing to the Lord. I ask you this question, what is the chief end of mankind? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. According to the Westminster Catechism, which was penned in the mid 17th century, I think this question is still incredibly relevant for us today. It's a question that everybody is asking. What is the point of all of this? What are we doing here? 
I recently watched a video online that uh, a guy tries to describe life as he would a video game review. He says, after an 18-year tutorial, you basically have three options with what you want to do for the rest of the game. You can... uh, you know, try and fill up your relationship meter. You can go around stockpiling in-game currency, or you can do your best to try and just explore as much of the map as possible. I think this is a pretty accurate way for the way that our society lives. The trouble is that all of these roads are dead ends. They're self-focused and they're ultimately empty. It's so easy to get caught up in them. I know that I do because it's what everybody around me is doing. We think that our plans are paramount. We think that we are the center of the universe. It's kind of exhausting. And it's a lot like a Twinkie. It's empty calories. It's not going to get us very far. The good news is that there's another way to live. And its foundation is seen in the Ephesians 2 passage that we've been looking at this morning. Verse 8 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the grace, the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. You see, through scripture alone, we learn that we are saved in God's grace alone. And by the work of Christ alone, this grace is received through faith alone, which is a gift and not something that we can take pride in. This all snowballs, it, it culminates in the realization that all things ultimately point to the glory of God alone. We must respond to this good news by setting aside our pride and humbly giving glory to God in all things. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a time when all of creation would have no choice but to be humbled. Isaiah 2 says, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and high, It goes on to say, the haughtiness of people shall be humbled and the pride of everyone shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The lofty will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted. This is the goal of all of history. I say to you, do not wait for that day. Respond now. Know the joy and the peace of the Lord Give glory to the Lord in your eating, in your drinking, in your rising up, in your laying down. Give God thanks in all things and act in a way that mirrors the grace that you have been shown. Because you see, this is what you were made for. What is the chief end of mankind? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Don't miss out. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.